and welcome to the Seahawks 360 podcast, a sports ethos production. We look at the Seahawks from every angle, every week. I'm your host, Candace Higgins. And I'm Tino Ganasius. And we are here to talk Hawks with you. And we have some huge news to talk about. Um, a couple of days ago, it was announced that Pete Carroll, the Seahawks coach for the last 14 years, would not continue in his role as head coach um, in 2024. And I'll, I'll start off with, with my reaction, but I was completely floored. In fact, Tino actually broke the news to me because I was <laughs> I was at work. I was in the middle. I was at work in the middle of a meeting and I had my that oh, that shook my whole my poor co-workers because that shook my whole <laughs> whole mindset work wise. I was just mm-hmm. thrown by the decision because, you know, we talked on here last uh, episode and I just didn't have any confidence that they would have the nerve really to, to make that decision. It's not an easy decision to make, to go away from a legendary coach, everything that he's given to the city of Seattle, everything that he's given to the organization, um, the culture. It, it really is. I think on parallel that he said, it, it's hard to walk away from that, especially when you technically had a winning season. So this decision obviously went deeper than just wins and losses. It went more into some of the things that I was talking about. And just when you look beyond just the surface there, um, some of the cracks that were beginning to be laid. But, Latino, what, what was your reaction? I was, well, I was on record saying I thought that they would give him as long as he wanted and probably through 25, uh, just out of respect. Um, my first reaction was shock, obviously. And I think, but I think it's, you know, as it settles. So I'm a huge Pete Carroll fan, right? 100% like Pete Carroll, George Carl, um, you know, Lou Pinella, Those are, those are like my, like Mount Rushmore in some ways, right? Jim Harbaugh. And I think that it was, while it was shocking at first, as the dust settled, you started to realize that John Schneider wanted Pete Carroll to do, I think, to do a lot of the things that we spoke of years ago, right? He wants him to change the defense. He wants him to be more cutting edge. He wants him to be able to adjust. And it felt like Pete wasn't, we knew Pete wasn't doing that, but I, but it seemed like, I think not a power struggle. I don't want to say it was that there was that much tension, but I think they both realized it was time in some ways. And so my initial reaction is I'm sad because I think Pete Carroll is a, an incredibly special human being. And I think that played out with the reaction of the former players and former players coming together that we can talk about later, all that sort of thing. Um, But I think it's time, right? I think we were set up to go 10 and seven, 11 and six, nine and eight for the next two years. And that's not what John Schneider wants to do. That's obviously not what the Allen family wanted. So once the dust settled, I'm very much at peace with, with Pete Carroll um, walking away from, or, or however you want to term it, not being the coach of the Seahawks in 25 yeah, or in 24, excuse me. Um, but, you know, saddened, I think he's just such a huge personality. And right. I've had people in my life say, I don't know if watching the Seahawks is going to be the same for me. And I, I was taken aback by some of the reactions on Twitter, people saying, I've only known Pete Carroll. I've only known the Seahawks as a team coached by Pete Carroll. One that made me feel old as heck. But, but two, I just, it's true. You know, he's been, 
he's been a stalwart, right? He's been the mainstay. He's been the identity of the Seahawks for so long. So, you know, I'm really happy just the way he handled himself, the grace with which he handled himself in the press conference, the way that his players and former players rallied around him. It says everything you need to know about who Pete Carroll is as a person. Yeah. And as a coach, he won us our only Super Bowl, and I'll never forget that. So I'm super thankful that we had the opportunity to have him as the coach. Um, I, I wish him well. I just, I don't know. I think we were really lucky. And, you know, sometimes, I hope this isn't the case, but sometimes be careful what you wish for, because um, while I don't want to go 10 and 7 until eternity, I also remember the days of the four and 12 Seahawks as well. So I don't know, um, mixed emotions, but I'm ready to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, d- definitely. <laughs> Cause I would say it's, it's a mixed emotions even for me. Cause I, I mean, like you said, I, I am one of the ones I am too. I've only ever known the Seahawks under Pete Carroll. In fact, that's really what got me invested in the team. I'm a, if you don't know, I'm a girl from Memphis, Tennessee. And so <laughs> I just decided to watch football for a year and see what team I fell in love with. I didn't want to bandwagon a lot of the teams, you know, in my area. Most people are Cowboys fans, and I didn't, I didn't want to just hop on the Cowboys right, fan right. bandwagon. So I studied the game for just a year, like unbiasedly, just watching every game I could. And it was really the culture of Pete Carroll in 2010, mm-hmm. 2011, like in, in that year of you can really feel their building towards something, this underdog mentality um, mm-hmm. that I personally identified with, with my Memphis Grizzlies. It just felt like that was a team that had a culture I could get behind, not just a team I could root for, but a, but a culture that I could get behind. So mm-hmm. I am extremely thankful to Pete that as much as I advocated for change, I will certainly miss him. There, there's no doubt in my mind, even as mm-hmm. I was advocating for him to be gone, that there will be so many moments depending on the personality of this new coach <laughs> that I wish that we had Pete Carroll because he really is just that type of a unique human being. But I also do know and agree with you that ultimately it was time for a change. I'm personally following a bandwagon that I'd rather be bad for some time mm-hmm. and, and have a chance to be great than to just, than to have a floor, but to also have a clear ceiling and to be just kind of stuck in that window. Um, so we'll see where this, where it goes. It's obviously a lot to break down into. But first, I'm kind of curious as to your thought. There's been a lot of back and forth and debate on if this has really been a firing or if it has been, uh, you know, a, 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 I don't know, mutual agreement. I, my impression was sort of that he was fired. <laughs> I thought he made it clear that he wanted to be back. He said he wanted to be back. And right. even, in his, even, in, even in his presser, he talked about how he competed to still be the coach for this team. So to me, that doesn't sound like a guy who ultimately came to the conclusion that his time was over. I just think he ultimately respected their wishes. And Pete's that kind of guy. He's not going to, at a certain point, he's going to fight, but he's not going to, he's going to, especially when it's people he cares about, he'll respect what they want. And I don't think he will want to stay anywhere that he's not wanted. And I feel like when he came to that conclusion, that's as close to mutual as you got. But, but what do you think? I think, <clears throat> honestly, I think that that as is the case when teams underachieve, I think John Schneider wanted him to give up control of certain things. And I, I, I go back to the, the coordinators. I go back to the coaches. And my guess is John Schneider said, I want control of who your coordinators are. And I want more input in, as to what the schemes are going to be. Mm-hmm. 
because that's ultimately what where a lot of the power of the head coach comes from, right? Is being able to control who you hire as coach or as coordinators. And, and I think that's something that Pete Carroll has held really near and dear to him. And my guess is John Schneider wanted to relinquish some of that. I don't think there was any issues with player acquisition. I think they <clears throat> together, they made a great team as far as, you know, putting together drafts and trying to understand how to acquire talent. It was how that talent was being utilized. And you and I have talked about that at length. That to me has to be the only real, that's the, that was the real issue. And I think that's been the real issue the whole time. So to answer your question, I think John Schneider said, I need you to give up control over who the coaches or who your coordinators are going to be. And I think Pete Carroll said, no, that's an integral part of who I am is having those relationships with my coordinators. And I still want to hold on to them or I still want to be able to choose. And John Schneider probably said, no, um, I, I'm guessing too. John Schneider really wanted him to update his uh, defensive scheme. And Pete Carroll probably said, no, I believe in this scheme. This is what's got me here. This is what I want to do. Those are the two things I think will come out later on that will realize that it was, um, I think it was ultimately mutual, but I think it was the, the, the tension or the conversation was created by John Schneider's desire to take more control over the team. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Now, I will say John Schneider himself doesn't have the power to, you know, say this where the highway he obviously has to have the backing of Johnny Adam. And that's some that's a character who has been polarizing for quite some time in the Seahawks nation. And there's really has been for a long time this assumption that she really is just sort of a figurehead more mm -hmm. than she is anything else. And I will say I lean in that direction just because of how mismanaged the Blazer situation was. Like, I mean, I for the most part it's it's hard not to just see how they just didn't stay and they just let mediocrity continue for years until it was really too late and they had to blow the whole thing up. And mm -hmm. so I, I really felt like that was going to stand with the Seahawks just because I had seen it before. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's Paul Allen's memory or, or what have you, but we have seen a turn in her being involved. I remember her in the last draft being in the draft room. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I had seen that before, but mm -hmm. for some reason, I think since a little before the Russell Wilson trade, she's been more involved because I, I, I have, I had suspected for some time that Pete had lost some power in terms of personnel. There was mm -hmm. a clear shift in strategy that there was a clear shift in the types of players that the team drafted that mm -hmm. I think just had John stamp on it more mm -hmm. so than Pete. And you could really tell when it changed because you, well, the, well, not only were the drafts, did they start being knocked out of the park, but also you could tell just because some of the specifications that they normally like corners, for example, not oh. having, you know, certain types of corners and beforehand, mm -hmm. if they didn't have, was it, I can't remember, 32 inch arms, something like that, if they didn't have like long arms mm -hmm. and these sort of measurements that they weren't going to be a Seahawk. And that sort of began to change and evolve. And I think that's really when you begin to see more of John's stamp on it. I think all of that led from the conversation that they had at the end of the offseason before they traded Russell. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when power shifted um, from there. Like I said, I, I because because I believe that he lost power personnel-wise, I can see a world where I think it had to be John and, and John and Jody, basically, is what I'm saying, just because of the power dynamic, to sure. basically say, give up the, you know, the power for the coordinators. Because we don't feel like you've done a good job of picking coordinators, I could see completely see where that would have um, happened and where Pete said, hey, 
y'all taking enough, you know, <laughs> like, right. you know, I've already lost personnel power and, you know, take it or leave it pretty much. And they said, leave it. I think I can see that. Right. I, I also think when, you know, we talk about like Jody Allen or we talk about Paul Allen when he was alive, I, they definitely have a lot of people surrounding them, mm-hmm. right? They have people surrounding them who help them to make decisions, who might be more passionate. You know, Jody Allen may have people who are more passionate about the Seahawks around her that influence her in terms of how to make decisions or what to do. Yes. And so it's hard to really tell since we don't know the inner workings of her circle. It's hard for us to tell, you know, what what it is that that motivates her and why she could have one person in her family saying, Pete Carroll's done. We need a new a new coach. And he, she could have just gone to John Snyder and said, this is what's going to go down. You know, right. she has the kind of power. So it's hard to I think with owners, unless the owners are truly involved and up, up front and center, it's hard to really know what motivates them. But I think you're right that so much of this was was the slow kind of taking away of power from Pete. You know, I think about Kobe Bryant being drafted and I think about Trey Brown being drafted. And, you, and to your point, you have these corners. Now, their slots for the most part or they maybe they, the intention was for them to play slot. But that but the fact of the matter is they didn't fit the the physical specifications that Pete Carroll always wanted, right? Pete Carroll always wanted to draft the the biggest, strongest, fastest dudes there were and thought that he could always teach them how to play. Mm-hmm. And we started to see the Seahawks move away from that um, approach a little bit to your point, once John Schneider kind of took back the control of the, of the draft. And what's crazy is the minute he did that, in my opinion, the Seahawks started drafting really well again. Right. Right. And and so there's a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism mm-hmm. with regards to where the Seahawks are headed. Um, and what's interesting too is, is if I can go kind of tangential a little bit here, yeah. you, you hold, I'm not like admittedly like the probably one of the least sentimental people around, you know, everyone in my life would tell you that, <laughs> but it's interesting with regards to Pete Carroll, there was, I think I there was a bias for me because I liked him so much mm-hmm. because I liked how he treated people. And because he won the Seahawks, the first Super Bowl. you know, I remember, I remember the mid eighties with the Seahawks. That's when I first started, you know, being able to be aware enough to be a fan. And, and so there's a part of me that really loves Pete. And I think it clouded, there were not all the time, but I think at times it really truly clouded my ability to evaluate whether he was the right coach for this team still. And, you know, that's just being trying to be vulnerable and admitting the fact that that you can have biases sometimes. But this is one of the few times I can remember where emotion or or really rooting for someone actually did change my ability to objectively evaluate whether this was the right person for the job or not. And in hindsight, I just I think it's it's I think it's the right time for one. And I think when I look at the list of candidates or the preliminary list, I love some of these candidates and I think some of these candidates would make incredible Seahawks coaches. Yeah. Um, So I'm excited, but it is strange when, at least for me, when I have that moment of, and I'm sure some listeners can relate to this when you have that moment of, Oh shoot. Like I actually allowed my own feelings or emotions to impact how I feel about this or how I view the performance of this coach or player. Like that's a, that's a rarity for me. And so it was it definitely P, the Pete Carroll thing is, has had an impact on me for sure. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But but to your point, we, we can talk about what is the future 
um, of this mm-hmm. team. I will say, and I guess Jody Adam credit for this again, if there was a year to mm-hmm. walk away from a legendary coach, <laughs> this seems to be the year. Uh, this mm-hmm. is the year Bill Belichick has been let go. Mike Vrabel, uh, just just the, these these iconic figures, uh, I think is one of the best classes of and most well rounded classes of head coaches we've seen in years. And so, if you're going to walk away and and try to put put a step you know forward, there there's anywhere from a, still got your young hot shots, but you also got older experienced um, coaches as well, and you can go in either direction. Um, so. I'm grateful to be in the mix. If they do this next year, mm-hmm. I mean, who I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't I just don't think you're gonna get another class right. of coaches, of free agent coaches like you will this year. So let me, let me ask you this. Do you think that motivated uh Jody Allen or, or John Schneider at all to make the move this year instead of say next year? The fact that there are so many well-qualified, um, talented coaches available um do you think it accelerated the timeline at all or do you think they would make the the decision independent of that you know that's a great question i lean towards john knows people and he's well connected within within the nfl and Mm -hmm. i think he suspected that this might be a strong class of coaches i mean you never know for sure and i'm sure that was at least a factor i don't think that was the end-all be-all because apparently um, Ian Rappaport reported a couple of days ago that that John had been looking for months at right. doing research for head coaches. And so this had obviously been on his mind for some time. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that I mean, how can it not if you if you're hearing rumblings? I mean, for forever, people have been suspecting that this will be Belichick's last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Vrabel got fired pretty early on. It, it was pretty clear to see that the writing was on the wall and that there were going to be, you know, it was going to be a change in era really right. um, all around the NFL. And so a factor, yes, main decision, no. Um, Cause obviously John has had his sights on this for, for a while now. Right. Let me ask you this. So when you think about, or you envision the next Seahawks head coach, do you have a, do you have like a strict idea as to what, who, who, and what you want that coach to be? Um, philosophically, do you have that? What are the kinds of things that you want in the next Seahawks head coach? I think ultimately you have to have somebody that's a leader. I, mm-hmm. I'm pretty open-minded in terms of what that looks like and how they delegate that. But I don't think you can come behind P. Carroll and be someone who doesn't have a strong personality, mm-hmm. particularly because the GM is not going to change. John Snyder will remain the same, which means I suspect that large portions, at least of the roster will remain the same. I don't mm-hmm. think there's going to be a gigantic, there will be some turnover and some surprises, I'm sure. But I don't, I think the bulk of the roster, especially considering the foundational young talent that this team has on rookie deals, no less, I think the bulk of the roster will stay. And so then you're talking about a coach coming in to win over the same guys who are here under a completely different, um, you know, type of leadership. So if you can't be strong in your ability to do that, that, that's going to cause big problems automatically. So I think that's my only strict qualifier. 
they must be a strong leader and have a lot of personality to them um, enough to win over the locker room. That's all I ask. It's interesting because when you say that, you know, I, I look at, so there were the, the 10 coaches that, that uh, Corbin Smith put up pretty quickly um, and the list, a list of 10. And I look at that list and, you know, a lot of it, it's hard to know the personality of some of the coordinators that are listed as kind of the hotshot coordinators like right. Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowick. And I know Mike McDonald because he was at Michigan. Um, even, you know, Eric Bieniemy, right? Steve Wilkes was a coach, but you have these coordinators who you don't know as well. And it's not to say that coordinators can't be great coaches because we've seen McVeigh and that whole group of coaches become super effective, right? But there's something for me, as you put it, following Pete Carroll, you know, do you want to go the complete opposite end of the spectrum and bring in this, you know, less fiery, more kind of intellectual type of coach? Or do you want to stay on that train of uh, intensity and, you know, really being, being that strong leader? Because, you know, for me, I I'm hesitant and maybe it's, I'm showing my age, but I'm hesitant with regards to some of these coordinators coming in. I know they're smart, but you're going to have to surround those coordinators with some, with some OGs. You know what I mean? Like you bring in a Ben Johnson or you bring in a Bobby Slowick, you're going to have to really truly surround them with, with like a Vic Fangio type, right? Somebody or, or a Brian Flores who might not make a, a, a lateral move. You need that type of, um, that type of leadership behind them. I, I, for one, when I look at the list, um, you know, Mike Vrabel is an Ohio state guy and I'm, I'm a Michigan grab, but I really do like Mike Vrabel a lot. And I think he's a good coach. And I think the Titans made a mistake in letting him go. I like the way that he coaches. I also, you know, there's the weighing the CEO type of coach versus the brainiac on one side of the football and which one works? I think they both work, but which one are you comfortable with, right? Because if you hire one of these coordinators, they're probably going to be focused on the one side of the ball. You hire a Harbaugh, Harbaugh's a CEO, right? Harbaugh's not, he'll, he'll step into a quarterback's meeting, but for the most part, he's a CEO. So I, I think it's, I have no idea what John Schneider is thinking. I look at my list here and I see coaches I really would love to see and coaches that I wouldn't. Can I ask you what your opinion is of Dan Quinn as a candidate? I'm torn. I really am uh, because I understand the connector and the mm -hmm. desire to connect past to present. Mm -hmm. But I also am not sure I really want to connect past to present, if you know what I mean. I think exactly. there can be complications exactly. that come with that. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a blast from the past. And it feels like uh, just, you know, you're holding on. It's almost. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if, if you're going to make a switch, then I think you should just make the switch. And I, it's not to say that I don't think Dan Quinn can do a decent job. I don't believe Dan Quinn's the guy to help this team win a Super Bowl. So I think Dan Quinn's the guy to manage the ship until you find the guy. Okay. I think of him as a bridge guy. And, right. and I understand, again, why you could want a bridge. But if you've got John Snyder still on board, I think that's enough of a bridge. And you can really afford to do something different Uh because Dan Quinn teams attempted to fall apart, to be honest. Right. And when it comes down there at the end, for a variety of reasons that people can debate, 
but it that's the bottom line. And he's doing a great job with defense here at, with the Dallas Cowboys, but the Dallas Cowboys have put extraneous resources into right. making sure that that's a talented and elite group of guys. So how much of that is talent? How much of that is coaching? I'm sure they go hand in hand, but when he did not have the talent and, you know, with the Falcons, they sort of floundered. I don't even think the defense was just consistently good. It was average. Now, I've said for some time now, this team needs an, is an average defense at least <laughs> to be able to really compete, and they haven't been, been able to do that really. So I guess average is still a step up. Right. Um, but is it really where I want to see this team? No. Um, but it's not going to be one of those things that I'm upset about if they do it. Maybe a little disappointed but I will understand it and accept it and embrace it for what it is. Mm -hmm. I, I think some guys are, some guys are great coordinators and not head coaches. Right. And I think that's not, that's no knock against any of those guys. And we've seen them in all sports. You see them all the time. And I think Dan Quinn is one of those guys. I, I don't, you know, I understand that coaches sometimes have a first, the first time they coach a team, look at Pete Carroll with the, you know, with the Jets and the Patriots, right? Like sometimes coaches need opportunities to get better and better and to really hone their philosophy and right. hone their leadership. But Dan Quinn does isn't that guy to me. I think he's a great D coordinator. I think he had a lot of holes as a head coach. And I think the I don't see them recycling these old ideas. I think that John Schneider wants something. He wants new like a, he wants new oxygen, new air to breathe, right? He wants something that's different than what has been here previously. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I look at, again, I go back to this list and I'm just going to, the young coordinators, I don't know if that's a good fit for the Seahawks as of right now. I, um, I like, depending on the, who the coordinator is, I like Ben Johnson. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot about his personality and, mm-hmm. While I haven't personally watched his press conferences, it does the the chatter is that he does have a strong personality. He, mm-hmm. he does have his own. And I agree with you that some coordinators are just meant to be coordinators. This mm-hmm. is a guy who could be either one. Um, I mean, it's yet to be seen. I don't mind a Ben Johnson. I think he's high on my list. I mm-hmm. love the parallels between what he's done with the Lions and what the Seahawks roster currently is. And mm-hmm. I do genuinely feel like he would be able to bring the most out of that. I also say this, the one benefit that I will say to having any offensive coordinator, like in general, like a, a offensive head, uh, offensive coordinator as a head coach mm-hmm. is that you don't have to cycle through losing your offensive coordinators and it'd be that big of a deal all the <laughs> time. Whereas if you hire a defensive coordinator, then even if you get the guy, the right guy as an offensive coordinator, you're going mm-hmm. to lose him in two to three years if it's true success. And so that part and constantly having your, your offense, you know, just like the the stability that comes with that. I like that, Mm -hmm. but um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mike McDonald with the Ravens too. Mm -hmm. I I am. I've heard great things about him. He's another one of those guys who I get the impression is not just your brainiac. If you know what I mean, who, With strong X and O's, but also kind of a leader type. Yep. And he's done it at the college level, done it at the NFL level, and yep. his loyalty and his the Ravens are a, a great organization, just like the Seahawks, in terms of 
stability in terms of um, forward thinking and just sort of a model franchise, if you will. Mm -hmm. So you like that that's sort of his standard. And it makes me feel a little bit better about what what he would bring to the Seahawks because he knows nothing else other than, right. you know, these like there's a there's a at least a higher floor with that kind of guy because he's not going to tolerate certain things because he didn't tolerate it with the Ravens. Right. So he, he learned, he learned the importance of infrastructure. Right. From obviously from John Harbaugh, but, and I'm not saying this because of the M on my hat, I'm saying it because I saw it firsthand that, you know, the way that Jim Harbaugh runs the Michigan program is with, you know, trusting his coaches, but there's a very strong structure there. Obviously there's mm -hmm. the history, but Sharon Moore, right. The offensive coordinator who, who coached some when Harbaugh was out, um, you know, you see even uh, mentor the, the DC, like these guys are the, the shape of the program, the way the organization is run is very similar to the Ravens, right? There's, there's history, there's infrastructure, there's very defined roles within that team, but but within that, the coordinators are allowed to have personality and they're allowed to be themselves. And I think knowing that he's learned how to be that CEO type coach from Harbaugh, from both Harbaugh brothers, I think would be a huge boost. Mm -hmm. um, I also think scheme wise defensively, you know, you can't really learn. Um, from a better organization than being a part of the Ravens. And the, they obviously have great defenses year, year after year. Right. Um, but I do think that, you know, when I compare, I also will throw Eric Bienmi in there because while he may not be, you know, people pick, have picked apart Eric Bienmi for the last three or four years as a head, as a head coaching candidate. Um, I think he's proven to be a very good coach and he deserves an opportunity, whether that opportunity is with the Seahawks or not, I don't know, but I think his name is worth throwing out there. But what I was going to say is when I, Ben Johnson and Mike, Mike McDonald, I, I like them both. Um, don't get me wrong. But when I compare those two to Vrabel and then the other one who I haven't said yet, who I love is Brian Flores, right? The ex coach, of the dolphins, he had all the drama with the dolphins coach. Um, or I mean the dolphins owner, uh, ends up as the DC in, in Minnesota. He blitzes too often for my taste, but is that leader you're talking about, right? There is no denying Brian Flores, leadership qualities, his intensity, his desire to win. If he became the, here's the thing that I love about Flores as a, as a candidate, if Flores comes in that deep, you know, I talk all the time about having a defined I, identity, knowing who you are. This is who we are. This is what we do. Brian Flores will give this defense an identity. And I think him as he, as the head coach makes this defense immediately top 10 and very easily top five because of how strong he is as a defensive coach. If you were to pair him with a top offensive coordinator, I think you're in business. Um, he, when I look at the list, he might be at the very top for me as to as to the candidates that that I've seen thus far. Do you have a favorite? And that includes Jim Harbaugh. And it's not because I want him to stay at Michigan. <laughs> but do you <laughs> do you have a a top candidate or a candidate that you you would stump for if you were asked? Yeah, my top one and two are Ben and are Ben and Mike because while while I agree with well, I obviously said leadership is important. I 
I think there's a fine line between the while there's some value in stabilized leadership, I worry a little bit about ego because I don't want to get in the Pete Carroll, I don't know, cycle, if you will, or just mindset. Like there, like there were certain things that we just did or did not do because of Pete. Right. And I like a guy with just a little bit more flexibility. I think if nothing else to be a better partner with John. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, those guys, I could just see a thousand situations with where they just butt heads. Right. And I'm not sure that, because you know, they've been in this league a long time. And there's a sort of, um, as much as strong leadership we have with those guys, also a bit of some arrogance, right? That's going to come, some sure. ego that's sure. going to come with that. And I sort of, I back away from that a little bit. And I, I'd rather prioritize guys who have the leadership qualities but need the opportunity. And I feel like the needing the opportunity part will prevent some of that ego arrogance stuff before uh, at least the gratitude of being given the opportunity, the chance Mm -hmm. to really showcase who they are. Um, I'd like to see somebody grow into themselves, if you will, especially Mm -hmm. if we're talking the long term, because how long term is a variable? I, I don't know, especially if he doesn't get along with John Snyder and he right. has a history of not getting along with the GMs. Now that may not well, be. Damn, but, Vrabel, the reason why Vrabel parted ways with the Titans or the Titans fired him was because he wanted control over personnel. Right. right. right? Exactly. That, that ain't happening here. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I really appreciate you, Candace. I think that point you made about um, bringing somebody in who's going to grow into the role Right. And someone yeah. who's going to work with John Schneider in a, in a certain way and not kind of come in and, and believe that they're equals necessarily. Right. Where you have these guys who are, who are appreciative of the role and are willing to trust. You know, I'm taking a step further, but willing to trust John Schneider and his decision making. Right. And just want to be the coach with a little bit of input. I think there's a lot of value to that. Right. I think that's a really, really astute. Um, statement or observation because it's it's obvious that that he wants someone who's smart and thinking ahead and like I said cutting edge but even if Vrabel or Flores are, are those guys they're gonna want even like a Harbaugh too they're gonna right. want exactly control right and yes. and they are gonna butt heads they have a huge ego like Harbaugh's ego is huge Vrabel's is huge Flores is huge we don't know about those young guys yet the other young name I want, or name I want to put out there, is Dave Canales, the old, old um, Seahawks yeah. QB coach. Yep. In Tampa, you know that might be the perfect bridge, right? Because he has a relationship with Gino. He helped Gino get to where he is, and has a working relationship with the organization already, and has proven with various organizations now that he is a, a heck of a coach. Um, I don't know enough about his leadership skill. Right. And I think that the the big risk that we take with one of these younger coordinators is you don't know what type of CEO they are, right. You don't know what type of, uh, because you're not just head down and X's and O's all day, you become the leader of the organization. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't know enough to differentiate between Canales, uh, Ben Johnson, Bobby Sloick. I know enough about Mike McDonald from his time at Michigan that I would sign off on that, but it's, 
you're convincing me, right? You're getting me closer to that, <laughs> to that younger coach because of, because of the, the relationship that they can have with potential relationship they could have with John Schneider. I think that's a very, that would be a very smart way to go. And, and I will say this, I, I agree with you somewhat because I do. I, I'd also, I, I feel like Dave Canales would fall into the category. So I'm in this weird, very specific spot in terms of my one and two, Ben and Mike, because of their level of experience. And I feel like they've had enough time to, even though they haven't had the opportunity to work through their identity. With mm-hmm. Dave Canales, I would worry a little bit more about what you said, whereas he's he's just now getting offensive coordinator. So he's had experience, but he's just, this is really his first leadership role. And he's only done that for one year. And right. I really would like for him to evolve a little bit more. Also with him being a QB coach, which is like a lower level guy to come back and be the head coach and for the same players, really, who right. knew you as the QB coach. I think that's a little bit of a hard sell. I'm not against it. I will I'll put that out there, but I, it's sort of, I'm not going to add him to my list of preferred candidates because I love to see a little bit more experience from him. I'm a big fan of the of the guys who have been around for a long time, who've had multiple opportunities uh, to to grow and to evolve and to determine who they'd want to be as a head coach right. and just need somebody to give them the platform. Right. I'm team that more so than a than a Dave Canales who's super new or even a. I think my my knock on the Bobby uh, Slotwick, am I saying that right? Bobby Slotwick, yeah. Slotwick. So he's a he's a Shanahan disciple. Mm-hmm. And while that's trendy and it's great, you're gonna have to go up against Shanahan literally literally like twice a twice a year. Mm-hmm. Are you at a disadvantage because he knows all of your ways quite literally? Um, mm-hmm. does that automatically put you at a disadvantage because like he taught you a lot of what you know? Um, yeah. are you able and sometimes people are able to like figure out how to counter they're, you know, masters, the teacher, the students are passing the master type thing. Right. That's rare. Um, so I'm not even super big on that one uh, because I just think Kyle could own them. And we we got enough of that being. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen enough of being owned from a coaching perspective. I really like somebody with a different discipline who can approach the Shanahan uh, way of offense and try to attack it. Um, like I was very impressed with what Mike McDonald was able to do with uh, with the Ravens. Like they, he mm-hmm. tore it apart. And what I understand, he went away from his normal tendencies to mm-hmm. do so. I right. think maybe had he done his normal tendencies, that didn't go the way that it does. But because he was willing to change things up and adjust yep. to his yep. personnel, which is yep. what I love to see, he's yep. able to rip them apart, man. And that gives me a ton of confidence. So right now, I have a pretty short list of like my top two favorites, like I said, Ben, Mike, and then a lot of guys that I'm okay with and pretty good with mm-hmm. uh, that you could sell me on, I guess, so to speak. I'm not going to be, well, I would say there are not too many surprise, too many hires that I'd be upset about, but I don't know that you say something like that. <laughs> so there, are bunch, there are a whole bunch I'd be upset yeah. about right now. Yeah, I, I'll say I'm pretty open-minded to the candidates that have been regularly talked about. Mm-hmm. But there's a possibility that there's they do somebody completely Man, unknown. That's the Seahawks um, way, you know? That's the Seahawks way. And if that happens, then we'll see. <laughs> let, let me let me say this. So, and I'll, I'll answer it first, and then I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. I want, you know, when we talk, if you compare Ben Johnson to Mike McDonald, right? 
you're talking about Detroit offense, Jared Goff, mm-hmm. really great line, mm-hmm. you know, being able to run the ball. Um, I'm on Ross St. Brown using the tight end. Like yep. I really like that Lions offense a lot. And it's obvious that he schematically is a very smart guy. Um, and maybe this is just my, you know, my pedigree or my history. The idea of Mike McDonald coming in and taking all this talent on defense that we've talked about and being able to build like a nasty, gnarly, mean defense that really does control the game. And then you're going to laugh. I know you're going to laugh, but kind of zigging when everyone is zagging and coming in and trying to play that Michigan Wolverine, Baltimore Raven, you know, kind of run heavy offense is like, that would be my absolute dream for my favorite team is to just bring, teach physicality, right. And teach defense and, and you're coming up to Seattle and it's loud and the weather's bad and you're just, you're going to get run over, right. There was, Watching the way that, you know, and obviously Baltimore has Lamar and Lamar is what dictates, you know, much of that offensive philosophy there, but that defense has always been good. Right. And then you look at, you know, the Michigan team and how they're able to run, run over university of Washington um, and play great defense. That brand of football is what I love. And I think that brand of football would be so much fun here. And while I know Ben Johnson is a great, coordinator in that he's able to scheme run in in a really talented sort of way with Gibbs and Montgomery. Um, I just that to, to get the defense right is I think, I think that's worth like two, three wins in and of itself. If you had the same team that we rolled out there last year with, with the defense that knew what they were doing, that had an identity, which Mike McDonald would bring to this organization. Like I said, you're, you're looking at 12 and five now because you have that kind of defense. I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm moving towards Mike McDonald as my number one candidate, but for you, what is it you want to see philosophically from the next coach? What's, what is the brand of football that you want to see this coach bring in for the Seattle Seahawks organization? I, I just want balance. And I, and I do want a guy who <laughs> I, I, I want balance and I want a guy who can, who can adjust. Oh, Mm -hmm. I can't speak that enough. The ability to not just be stuck. I don't want to just be stuck in one way. I I don't want to only have this way to do it. We've had Mm -hmm. enough of that. I really want the ability to be versatile Mm -hmm. and to be able to attack different teams from different angles. And sure you have strengths, right? So Mike McDonald's team, they have a strength, they have an identity, but they can still be versatile. They can still change up the game plan to adapt to their opponent because that's how you get playoff wins. And that's, Really, ultimately, I'm not expecting this to be a short turnaround, but ultimately, that's what I want to get to is playoff wins and not mm-hmm. just regular season wins. 12 and 5, 10 and 7, it doesn't matter to me. Can you win in the playoffs where it matters mm-hmm. the most? And that's when I haven't really had the confidence that the team could, for years, right. really win playoff games. So, yes, I want to be able to run the ball, but I don't necessarily want a cowbell because I just think, I think your dream is hard to execute in the modern NFL. Mm-hmm. I think, I agree, it is fun if the NFL would let it be, but right. I don't think it's as fun as you think because it just leads to a lot of flags. 
right? Like I, I don't think it's as fun as it used to be. I think the concept of it is fun, but the reality of it is not because, <laughs> because the, 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 the rules have ushered out defense. Essentially it's made it really hard to be too, you can't be too physical, right? Wow. Um, there are guys getting fines for things that I think is insane. Mm-hmm. Some of these play, players getting fined for some of these things. Like they're just this regular hit, right? Mm-hmm. And they get fined $4,000, $5,000. So they're orchestrating the physicality out of football. Because of that, I think it's hard to, yeah, it's definitely zigging when everybody else is zagging. But I think you're going against the stream in a losing battle because ultimately the league wants offense. And they are finding ways to get them, even if it's just finding players for doing regular hits, in my opinion. Right. So is that the best case scenario for the team? I don't think so. I do. There needs to be some level of physicality implemented because what I saw on that field out there against the Arizona game and against that Steelers game was literally <laughs> the opposite of that. It was right. nothing physical. It was just water, just do, right. just soft. Charming soft dudes out there. <laughs> so we need to be better than that. But my main thing is balance. Can we be versatile? And I will say as much as I agree that if you get this defense under control, mm-hmm. that this team ceiling goes sky high because of the roster talent. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And as much as I do, part of me goes, I think you have a chance at longer term success again with an offensive coordinator because I mean, with the offensive head coach, because that system will remain. Coordinators come and go. That system will be in place. And because since defensive coordinators aren't, you had to do a lot to get a head coaching job as a defensive coordinator these days. I think you can keep the right defensive coordinator in place for a lot longer than you can the right offensive coordinator. So for that reason, and in wanting to eventually build towards stability, I think I lean in that direction. Um, even though I worry a little bit about what having an offensive head coach would mean, I like a lot of the offensive pieces Would they want to revamp everything. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That makes me a little nervous, but for the greater good, I guess something I'm willing to sacrifice. Um, hopefully they won't change too much because I really think I love the team that the offensive has and it minus maybe the O-line, but (laughs) I think the, the team is, is solid and hopefully whoever comes in can recognize that. Mm-hmm. I, I run the ball. <laughs> I know you go kill me for saying that, but run I, the ball. thing you can run, run the ball is important, man. But you need balance. You 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 can't yes. just run the ball one hundred percent. Just pass the ball one hundred percent. Both, but it's it's I don't know. Run the ball, play action, play good defense. I. Um, that's again, that's just a personal preference, but that would that's what I would love to see this, you know, and I think we see that more and more teams kind of, I guess a lot of it is Shanahan, but, but a lot of these, these great offenses still are predicated on being able to run the ball yeah. and it is balance. As you said, you can't just run first and second down vanilla plays and then chuck right. it on third and eight, right? That's right. not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you do have to mix it up. You do have to throw screens. You if you have DK Metcalf, who I believe is entrenched as a top five wide receiver in football, talent wise, you'd better give him 12, 15 targets a game, right? We saw yeah. what Philadelphia could accomplish earlier this season and last season with AJ Brown, mm-hmm. right? He needs targets. 
Jackson Smith and Jigba is an incredible wide receiver, incredibly talented. He needs targets. I'm not saying don't throw the ball. What I'm saying is build that offense around, you know, you have to be able to impose yourself on other teams. And, and I, I think that much is very clear when you look at, at Baltimore and San Francisco as probably the, the favorites to be in the Super Bowl this year. Both those teams run the ball down your throat. Even when you know it's coming, they can Baltimore run the ball. Baltimore, not. I think you're thinking of old Baltimore. They've changed quite a bit this year. They have changed quite a bit, but it's still predicated on the run. It's still the and And what I will say is they've thrown the ball more. Zay Flowers has been a revelation. Mm-hmm. But the threat of Lamar Jackson running the ball changes the entire complexion of the opposing defense because you have to face ultimately you're facing a second running back. Right. And I think that still is what opens everything up. The reason why the tight end or one of the reasons why the tight end is such a huge portion of that offense and why, why Mark Andrews is so successful is because you have to account for Lamar Jackson as a running back Mm -hmm. and you have to commit usually a safety, but at, at least a linebacker to cover him, which opens up the middle over the top. Right. And so schematically they do some really, really interesting things. You think about Keaton Mitchell and the, and the impact that he's had. I just think, yes, balance is important, but what I'm asking is just skew, skew, you know, towards the run. Whereas I think the majority of teams will skew towards the pass and mix the run in. I love the teams that skew towards the run and mix the pass in a little bit more. Yeah, I I might I think I might if I had to pick I might skew more past the run just because I think you can do more with it. But depends on how you're running. Depends on how you're running, right? Right. And I also think if you're going to do that, then you definitely need a two headed monster. And and the Seahawks have that on the roster. They have the guys because I also don't believe in uh, wearing out running backs. Man, we've run through so many running backs trying to run it down people, and maybe that's where my where I'm not where I can't quite dip into that. Ooh, I've, I've seen that lake. I've seen that pool. <laughs> I don't really know if I like the temperature of the water. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the running backs just end up beat up by the time you get to the playoffs and then mm-hmm. you don't have any run game. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not so big on run game that then, like I said, we don't have the players there when we need them in the playoffs. Right. Um, there, as much as I see value in it, I think I have to, I can't quite, I can't quite get in the pool with you. Not quite. Mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen too much. I, I mean, it's PTSD. <laughs> it's probably PTSD from the Marshawn Lynch curse ever since he left. Right. By the way, which it's broken. I think this time this is the first year that we don't have a running back on a season in the injury in like years. So right. shout out to that um, optimist optimism ahead. But and maybe that is because you're. I mean, you genuinely had two threats this year, mm-hmm. and I feel like most of last year you had two threats, but you still Rashad Penny ended up on right. But but. Anyway, um, I want to see running the ball, but I just think in the long term, it's a passing league. They, it's rigged to be. It is rigged to be. It yes. frustrates me sometimes. Yes, very much and, so. And, and I will say, if that wasn't the case, maybe I'll get in the pool with you. But because, <laughs> but because I know it's rigged, and it is rigged, man. Some of these calls are like are ridiculous. Right. Uh, that how to, how these games are officiated to be so pass oriented um i think you just kind of this is not a wave i want to i want to knock against per se right. um but yeah but there's i mean Kyle Kyle does it well with the right mind you can make anything look good right um now in terms of having Geno Smith as the quarterback 
I think you're right. I think I would rather lean a little bit more towards the run with a Geno, but if they ultimately end up drafting a guy that can be a, a guy that you build an offense around, right. then do that. Um, but that's where I end up just landing on just be balanced <laughs> because there, it, I think it depends situationally, right. And roster wise depends on how you execute. Mm-hmm. And yeah, absolutely. And it depends on who's available to you, right. If right. you, you know, if you have a DK Metcalf, you can't be super run heavy, right. You want right. to be able to utilize that kind of skill. Exactly. Um, so let me ask you one more, like, question after this conversation kind of after the dust is settled with Pete being gone like how do you like where's your head and this sounds so funny this sounds like I'm you know like we're in a, a therapy session or something but I think <laughs> because Pete has been such a big part of a lot of our fandom you know for a long time it takes a little bit of this like where where are you at with overall are you are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you, um, do you trust, I guess is a good question. Do you trust John Schneider and, and Jody Allen to do, you know, to make decisions that are going to make this team great? Like what is, where are you at headwise as far as the the Seahawks front office and, and where we're headed next? I can't quite go excited because there is a sadness about losing Pete. I'll just, I'll just mm-hmm. be frank as someone, like I said, as I advocated strongly for it, but I can't say I'm excited because he will be missed. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a possibility that they get the wrong guy and have to get the wrong guy. They have the ability to move on quickly from him. So I feel better about that. I will say I am optimistic because I was not before. I just not, I just didn't see a way that under Pete, they could be great again. Could right. they be good? Yes, but could they be great? No, I, I think there would have been there as as for his heart and as much as he advocates for those players. I absolutely think there was a possibility that Jamal Adams was still on that team under Pete Carroll just because right. he wants to take care of his guys, man. And he he just does. That's just who he is, and it makes him great. But there are some times when that can just prevent you from really getting over the hump where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I'm at peace about it certainly um so i'm not wrestling with anything but i can't quite go excited because it is a loss it would mm-hmm. be remiss for me to not continue to, to, not, to not say that it's a loss i he's the reason i'm, I'm a seahawks fan to be quite right. frank and so right. excited no um more optimistic absolutely um at peace about it absolutely but it's possible that they get it wrong and that they get the, the, the first guy. Is it the right guy? That's still preferred to me. Right. But because I'm ready. I'm sort of bracing myself for anything. It's hard for me to just be super, you know, on top of the world. I realize that there's a clear floor. This team might win four wins. Now, I right. think that they're talented enough that they shouldn't have that be the case. But you never know a bad coaching. Um, but I, that's a roller coaster I'm willing to strap on right Mm -hmm. like let's go through the up and ups and downs because you know there's a possibility of being up um and i i was with pete as long as i felt like they could still be great again but when i lost that faith it's it's kind of when it that became this decision became clear to me like i think the season before last i was still team pete because 
I felt like he could still take this team to be great. But when you saw them revert back to having issues that they had last year, I mean, tackling was an issue the first five weeks of last year. So to have that, you thought you got over the hump and to still end up back where you were sort of took me out. But um, I think I'll miss him a lot. And I'll probably be comparing every coach, every coach's interview Mm -hmm. to to his, how he would normally respond and to what he would do differently. I've no question. I'm going to do that because I used to be, I feel like I was pretty good at parsing Pete, if you will, um, Mm -hmm. over the years, but um, it is what it is. It's the right thing. And because they made the right move, I feel better that we can truly take advantage of the talent that we have. I I did not think you'd get the best out of, I I was worried that you'd lose the prime of a Devin Witherspoon or lose the prime of a Geno Smith, who who some could argue is past his prime. (laughs) We'll see. Um, (laughs) But I I think that he's got enough in the tank to where if you put, you know, enough around him. So I'd love to take advantage of this window where while some people think this Geno contract is an albatross, it's no, really not. It's a team-friendly contract. It's super team-friendly. And I just, mm-hmm. that is almost non-existent in the NFL. Right. It's not a rookie deal. It's a sky-high, like, albatross deal. And he truly has made it there to be a middle ground. I'd like to see what you can do with that. I'd like to see if they can book the trend of history. Mm-hmm. And if you have a middle-class quarterback and you make things great around them, can you take it to the mountaintop? And I think the team is, they've made some personnel moves, I think, to put them in a position to properly see that. Um, It's just a matter of, can we get the right person to execute or to help the personnel execute rather? Well, look at, look at Cleveland, right? With Joe Flacco. Yeah. Cleveland, Cleveland has a tremendous amount of talent around the quarterback and on defense. Joe Flacco came in, doesn't make mistakes, but they're really well coached on the defensive side of the ball. And they're, you know, they've been very good. You look at in the playoffs, look at the Steelers, right? You know, Mike Tomlin teams are going to be really well coached. Right. And they've made it with some bad quarterbacking. And so I think you're right that, you know, that Geno Smith with the right coach could be very much be the answer for the next couple of years. And I'm in agreement. I think, I honestly think there's a huge window open for the Seahawks to be a Super Bowl contender these next couple of years, because that talent base is there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I rewind just real quickly, it's like, it really is like, you know, you worked with someone for 16 years at a job and they were like the, the OG when you got there. Yeah. And now they're retiring and you didn't really think about them retiring. It didn't register in your mind that they were ever not going to be there. And now they're not going to be there anymore. It's like a like an uncle or a relative and that's how it feels. Right. But what then once you come to the, the come to grips with the fact that person is not going to be there anymore, your next thought is, well, who the heck's the next person going to be? Yeah. Who's going to be my next boss, right? Who's going to be my next uncle? Who's going to be the next person to take that role? And so I'm reserving some, some of the opinion for who the next person is. If it's Dan Quinn, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be quite frank with you. It's, I don't, I don't want Dan Quinn as an, I think Dan Quinn is, a, like I said, a very, very good coordinator. 
not a great head coach. Mm -hmm. If it's, you know, I think your point about Canales is really well, well said. And um, I think even that is almost too much of a, of a, you know, trying to continue what's been here before. And then the names like Vrabel and Harbaugh, I don't think are coming just because John Schneider wants more control. And, you know, but the other names, Flores, I'd be super psyched about, right? Ben Johnson, I would be psyched about. Uh, Mike McDonald is, like I said, is probably my number one. And if it's one of those, one of those three, then it's on. Let's go. Like that was a great decision. Yeah. I'm pumped. You know, this is the new regime, 100% behind it. Can't wait to see what happens. But like I said, you bring in a Dan Quinn or a Steve Wilkes, you know, one of those dudes, and it's kind of, I don't know. So I'm reserving some energy or excitement until I know who that coach is going to be. But there is the potential, as you said, the the ceiling is much higher, I think, now with Pete Carroll gone than it was with Pete Carroll as the coach in 24 and 25. So it, in that respect, I am very excited about what it, what it is to come. Do, do you, um, given that, I will say I'll acknowledge that the guys we want, like our top guys, I think we're McDonald, Ben Johnson. I I can get behind ben, uh, Brian Flores. I don't think his ego mm-hmm. will be as much an issue. Mm-hmm. But um, do you think that I, I'll say this? I know that those guys are the the top of the cream. Like everyone wants those guys. Mm-hmm. At least Ben. Now, I don't know. Not everybody wants McDonald, but for the most part, those are your hot commodities. And it's competitive. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that the Seahawks situation is competitive with some of the other markets, realistically, that might have a number one, number two overall pick that we don't have um, or be able to offer some things that we may not be able to offer? Do you think it's realistic for given the pool of teams that are looking? There are a lot of teams looking this year. Do you think it's realistic that they land one of those guys? I think, honestly, I think Seattle is the best situation for a young up and coming coach of any of the openings because of, I do, because you have the talent level to, you have the talent level established that you, you're not going to come in and go four and 12 or four and 13, two years in a row and get fired. Right. You have you're not at risk of losing a fan base because this fan base is going to show up for games all the time. And that is, it has an impact on whether coaches are retained, right? If you're not making money from that, if people aren't showing up and excited about your brand of football, you're not going to stick around. I also think that the Allen family, I I put Paul and Jody in that have demonstrated that stability, even stability for the sake of stability and it being a negative is a priority for them, right? They held on to Pete for a long time, John Schneider for a long time. If Neil O'Shea didn't make the mistakes he did in Portland with the Trailblazers, he would still be the GM there probably, right? There's, they like stability. And so a young coach coming in, not only do you have a ton of talent on both sides of the ball and a fan and a rabid fan base and a great market, you have a, an owner who wants to hire one coach and one coach only and not have to go from coach to coach. This is not a, a, a um, Daniel Tepper situation in Carolina, right? Where they're going to rifle through coaches. That's not what this is. 
The other thing is you have one, a top five talent evaluator in football in John Schneider as your GM. And so you get to come in and be a leader and be a coach and not even have to not have to take on too much, right? Because you have this guy who's a guru, who's brilliant, providing you talent. So no, I think this is the best situation in football as far as, as openings go. I, I don't think there's a better one out there. And so I do think, and the, the Seahawks have a lot of money, right? And so they have the ability, I think, if, they're, if they want to, to pick, literally pick and choose, unless there are family issues as far as location, to pick and choose who they want and why. And that's exciting. That's really, really exciting to me. I'll also say my guess is John Schneider knew or knows who he wants, maybe within two guys before having the conversation with Pete about being done. I think he's already identified who it is he wants and he's waiting for the opportunity to go hire that guy. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I do think he, I mean, he's been planning this for some time. So I, I definitely don't, I, I trust that John has a plan, but I did hear that they're going to cast a wide net. And I, I like for them to do that. I like for them to really to to be open minded because mm-hmm. somebody could really sway sway their minds. I can't say I agree with you on the, that it's the best job opening. I think there are and there's some competition just in terms of other teams that have more cap space, like the Washington Commanders. As much as you can say that team sucks, it's under new ownership. They've got a ton of cap space. They've got a great pick. And you can really make that what you want to be. If you're a coach who wants control, you're not going to want the Seahawks, right? Just like the Seahawks aren't going to want you. Uh, that's a better spot for you. Um, the Chargers already have yes, a franchise. Yeah, they already have a franchise QB. Sure. So that could be hard to compete with. Um, and I think the Falcons actually have some pretty key pieces roster-wise. And they got some work to do. And I think our roster is better than the Falcons, no question. But they've got some some really talented pieces to build around if you're a head coach too, in terms of, and I also think that they got some more space to work with and probably a higher draft pick. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. They, they definitely have a dry, higher draft pick. I'm sure. So I could see those teams being, I think we're depending on the coach in line with them. Now, some coaches don't care about control. Right. And so right. then if you don't care about that, then it probably comes down to, I guess, Chargers and Seahawks, maybe um, probably top two destinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you throw in the fan base thing that I can see. So I think it just depends on the coach, but the Seahawks certainly don't have the worst job opening, which I'm grateful for. Cause I think the Raiders might, the Raiders might be the worst. See, I think it's, I think it's Panthers hands down the best situation because you have ownership. You, there's so much turmoil with the, with the commanders for one. I also think, Cap space is overrated. I don't think that that cap space with cap space, you can't build. It's not a guarantee you're building a good team because you have cap space. cap space. Oftentimes you see bad contracts because of it. What we see is the teams that build through the draft and then supplement, you know, you already have your base and you supplement with one overpriced guy. That's how you can get over the top. But I think the coach, argument, if you're the argument the coach, for then the, you feel like you get say in the cap space. So it's not like that's, that's why I mean where it goes to that control, right? Cap space, and sure. you have a say in how the cap space is is allocated. Sure. You're really, you're not going to look at it from that perspective because you're going, I'm going to pick the right guy, I mean, no matter who, whether you're right or not. The head coach you is think going. You're picking the right guy. Yeah, I'm going to pick and the right the guy. One team, 
the one team that I think can make the argument is that you can make the argument for that is a better situation would be the chargers, but the chargers are not, it's almost like a, this gen, they feel like a very generic organization, right? Because of the move, because they share a, you know, a, a, a field with another team because it's, it's just kind of like milk toast almost. If there's and a so team you, that needs Pete, man, it's the Chargers. I'm not going to lie. Right. 100%. There's a team that needs culture. So you have, you have this quarterback who hasn't won anything yet, but is considered a top 10 talent, right? Mm-hmm. And I do think Herbert is great, and they have the makings of a very good line. And you have, you know, aging Keenan Allen, and you have some pieces on defense, but those pieces aren't – I'm telling you, when you have – what look to be the best young corners in football and you have a very good defensive line and you have, you know, a, a, what I consider to be a franchise left tackle still, even, in, even though I know you had a down year and a top five talented wide receiver and one of the best number two receivers in what may end up being one of the best number two receivers in football in JSN and a quarterback who's on a good contract, as you said, and talent at running back, like, and a stable organization and a great talent evaluator. It's just, it's so much more than I believe than any of those teams that we listed. I, I, I really truly believe that this is the best opportunity for any coach looking for an NFL job. And I believe that the Seahawks will have, you know, provided they're willing to spend the money to make it happen. They will have their pick of coaches that they want. Um, I, I can't wait to see who it is. I cannot wait. I, I'll say this. I think this job will be the best job for the right guy. Mm-hmm. Cause I just think, I mean, a Jim Harbaugh, this is not, this isn't every dream jobs. This is every coach's dream job. Jim Harbaugh who wants control, who is a CEO type guy who isn't going to be satisfied with the current situation. This isn't the right job for him. No, he, so, he he's the, he's the commander's dude, right? Somebody, yeah. uh, an organization like Carolina, Washington, where they need someone to just come in and wipe out what's been there right. and come, out, come in and build a new culture from the ground up. Right. I mean, Vrabel, Vrabel can certainly do that, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I think I so. So I think I, I agree with all of your points. I think it just leads me to believe that not everybody's going to want that. But for the person who does want that, I think it will be mutual, right? Because we also don't need a Jim Harbaugh type. As great as he is as right. a coach, that's not what this franchise needs. And no. so it will make sense on both sides and it should be a great fit for both sides, which which is great because it's it sort of the unique situation that the Seahawks are in sort of filters through automatically who's really going to be the best fit. Um, and hopefully they can get one of these big fish, man. I really, I really do because I think for some of these big fish, this is a great opportunity. And mm-hmm. um I hope they can pull it off, you know, compete and all. I I don't know how I'm going to feel if it's somebody random that I don't know. <laughs> I, I think well, we'll, have to give, we'll have to give them a chance. We give them a chance. That's what we do. We do, we will give them a chance. Give them a chance. That's what we do. But um, you, get, you get three games to show yourself. Sorry. <laughs> now I, I will say I'm in it for the long haul. Whoever 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 you do, you get. I say two years. You get, you get two years and after that, then like, let's, let's move on. I'm not, I think we should have a pretty short lease 
uh, on coaches. I'm not, I'm not afraid to go through to find the right guy. I'm really not. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think if, when you have the right guy, you know, pretty early. You, you should just, you just do. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Can't wait for sure. All Can't right. Kino, I think that's all I got. Is that all you got? That's all I got. All right. Tell people where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior 20, T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. I also host the Ethos Mariners cast, um, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. I just posted uh, my reaction to the last two Mariners trades, Robbie Ray going to the Giants and Jose Caballero to the Rays. Um, that's once a week. Uh, I've got my own fantasy baseball stuff on my personal page as well. I'm just, I'm all over the place, football, uh, baseball, watching basketball. Don't talk about it as much. I, I'm sorry about the uh, John Moran injury. That's got to suck for you guys, but yes. um, just sports, sports yeah, is what makes me happy. Like I said, you can find me on Twitter and it's uh, really close to baseball season. So I'm, I'm getting pumped about that too. Nice. Nice. Well, be sure to follow the show at Ethos Seahawks. One thing I mentioned in the last episode is that we will be here for breaking news updates throughout the offseason, reacting to some of those things. It seems like it's going to be much more news <laughs> than I anticipated show. when I said that. Show. So, man, show. We, will, we will be around because we'll have to be. It's definitely an interesting time uh, for the franchise. So excited for that. So make sure you give the show a follow. If you're listening on YouTube, please leave a comment. like to hear your thoughts, your feedback. Uh, like and subscribe. And in the meantime, 